Welcome to Pivot, a podcast for church leaders sponsored by Faith Lead at Luther Seminary. Pivot invites church leaders to use disruptive moments to reimagine how they think about church, ministry, and leadership. Welcome to Pivot. I'm Terry Elton. And I'm Alicia Granholm. In this episode, we are going to talk about why and how to experiment. Terry, would you like to introduce today's guest? Well, I would be thrilled to introduce today's guest. This is my friend and former colleague. I got to work with her for a while, Pastor Liz Idy. She serves at Lutheran Church of Peace in Maplewood. She's been a pastor for almost 20 years now, and she served in a variety of contexts and sizes of congregation in Woodbury, Minnesota and Barrington, Rhode Island. She's done ministry in Germany. She's been in other locations in Minnesota, and currently she's serving in a redevelopment call, which is exactly why we want to talk with you today. Liz is passionate about imagining and equipping people for a church that's emerging, not just equipping people for what we've done before. She's a coach. She has a passion for mentoring other women in ministry, and she leads leadership retreats for people in a variety of settings. She's married to Nick, and they have two very fun, amazing teenage kids, Jackson and Sophia, that have kept them on the move, even in a pandemic, uh, through their various interests and with all their energy. So, Liz, it is a joy to have you here today, and welcome. I wonder if you would start by just telling us a little bit about, in ministry, you've done a lot of things. What really brought you to redevelopment, and specifically to Lutheran Church of Peace? Well, thank you, Terry. I'm really glad to be here with you and Alicia today, too, to talk about experimenting and risk, some of my favorite things. I started thinking about redevelopment uh, several years ago, and what really brought me to redevelopment was just witnessing uh, some people close to me in my life, near and dear to my heart, who who no longer identified with mainstream traditional congregational life. Uh, the life that I had been a part of and been supporting for so many years. That wasn't whether they, I would take them to contemporary worship, traditional worship, really out-of-the-box churches, and all of it all together, really just they, they sensed a gap between what they were experiencing in their life and what they were seeing in mainstream congregational life. And so I started wondering and really having my heart broken for that gap and wanting to explore the other shapes church might take that might help people find a space where they could encounter the gospel of Jesus Christ in a really transformational way, which is what the church is about at its core, right? And so I applied through the St. Paul Area Synod to be a redevelopment pastor. There's a process for that and a little bit of training. And then this call sort of came out of the blue. And I met with the leadership at Lutheran Church of Peace in Maplewood. And uh, it was just really... Uh, we laughed because it was sort of love at first sight. (laughs) We both, it was just immediate connection. And immediately I knew that this community understood that we can't simply do the things we've been doing better, that we needed to do new things, different things. And so, so I ended up at Lutheran Church of Peace and I've been there for just four years this week. And so two years 
uh, in person in two years in a pandemic, <laughs> but it's been really, it's been really great. And I have learned a ton being with them. Wonderful community. Liz, you named risk as something you enjoy. And that is not something that Terry or I often hear when we work with pastors or ministry leaders or even congregations. So I'm curious if you can say a little more about that and maybe uh, elaborate on, you know, have you always been a risk taker or is this an area you've grown to enjoy throughout your ministry? Yeah, definitely have not always been a risk taker. My mother would laugh hysterically if she heard you saying that I'm a risk taker, but I am the oldest of four children and I am bossy and sort of take charge. And so I I feel like as I've become really comfortable in my own skin, in my call, in my ministry, that I've become much more comfortable with risk. And as I have learned that my top uh, strengths are ideation and developer, and I'm a seven on the Enneagram, I've really lived into the ideas and the big picture and just loving change. So, you know, for example, the first, you know, eight, 10 months of the pandemic, I mean, I was just cooking on all cylinders because it was like my sweet spot. It was so change and everything and all these ideas and big opportunities. And I was loving it. So yes, I have done. It's something I've grown into. So Liz, as we've talked over the years, the process that you did in redevelopment isn't exactly like the Faithful Innovations process that Luther has developed, but it's very similar. There's a lot of overlap. And Mm -hmm. Just, I, w- I want to connect two things with you. I think often we think of innovation and experiments and risk-taking as, boom, come, experiment. So like, boom, you start, now let's go experiment. And that's not what you did at Lutheran Church of Peace. So back us up a little bit in the story and then talk about March 2020. Like, how did that first two years set you up for all that experimenting that you were just talking about? Yeah. So when I arrived at Lutheran Church of Peace, well, two two things were happening. First of all, they had signed themselves up for the year of renewal process through the St. Paul Area Synod, which is a process of listening that's at the core of it. So listening for God, listening to each other, and listening to your community. And that deep, deep listening was really the beginning of the transformation for us, putting God at the center of everything, not just having a prayer at the beginning of your meeting so you could check the box, but really asking God over and over again to be at the center of everything and spending good amount of time in God's word together every time we gather. And so that that process and the deep listening to one another And just receiving someone's story, that practice in and of itself began to change us and to open things. And people who, you know, they joked that they were the happy remnant left and that they knew everything about each other. And we did this listening and people would spend 45 minutes just receiving people's stories. And to a person, we had 20 listeners and to a person, they were blown away by the things that they learned about people they'd known for 40 years, stories they'd never heard because we don't typically make space for that deep, deep listening. So that started. And the other thing that happened was I arrived and there were all of these 
things that they felt like we had to start doing now because they finally had a pastor again. They'd had a, a long interim and they had gone through a process of wondering if they need to close their doors or if God was done with them or not yet. So they had taken a big chance in applying for two grants from the ELCA and from the Synod and receiving those grants and then calling a, first, a, a redevelopment pastor, not really knowing what this was going to mean or do. And so I got there, we did a bunch of listening and then they said, okay, so we listened. So now we better, we got to start Sunday school. We have to do vacation Bible school. We have, we have to do all the things. We have to get back to all the things. And so we started to say, but, but why? Why do we feel like we have to do those things? We have like three kids right now. <laughs> why would we you know, do this in, in the same way that we've done it before? Let's take a pause and let's think about how this might work best for this community of faith. So it was this listening into the context of the community and just asking some good questions and, and saying, what, what would work? How could we do this differently? So uh, we still today, Sunday school does meet. We do have Sunday school, but it meets 30 minutes right before worship. So we made it sustainable for our volunteers and for our families. We also put the coffee pot on early so parents could come drop kids at Sunday school and then come and have a cup of coffee and have their social time before worship. And so that started. And then that first summer, Instead of trying to do vacation Bible school, we ran our first experiment. Although I'm not sure we even knew at that time that it really was our first experiment. It was just, oh my goodness, we have to do something. And I had learned about uh, Messy Church. It comes out of the UK. And they pair, it's sort of vacation Bible school meets fellowship meets block party. And so we would gather, we gathered for, uh, I think, 10 or 12 Wednesday nights that summer outside in our parking lot. And we worked our way through the Lord's Prayer together. And in lieu of preaching, we had conversation and activity. So when we talked about God's holiness one night, we played all games with holes um, everything from basketball to beanbag toss to connect four that, you know, you could put on the tables for some of our older folks who didn't want to be moving around so much. And then we sat and chatted about God's holiness. And when we talked about how do we see God and where do we see God in, in God's heavens, like where are the heavens, we made pipe cleaner glasses young and old, I mean, you know, two years old to 90 years old, sat around in pipe cleaner glasses and talked about how we see God. And this was supposed to be an experiment of inviting our neighborhood to come and join us. <laughs> and in that sense, it was a failed experiment because we only had a few people from the neighborhood that came ever, maybe a small handful. But it wasn't a failed experiment in what it transformed in us. And in the ways that we learned to start sharing our faith and that we could worship differently uh, and preaching could look really different and we could build the sermon, so to speak, together. And that started really shifting things for us and getting us ready for other experiments. Liz, I love that. There's so many things uh, kind of running around my head right now, but I want to go back to a bit of where you started uh, before you started experiments, whether or not you knew that that's really what you were doing. And I just want to 
to rename that listening was a key and vital piece of where you started really before you engaged in any sort of change. And in episode 26, Terry and I had a great conversation with former Bishop John Anderson about how vital it is for us to really make space, right? Like we're all busy. Everybody's got a lot of things going on, whether it's with our congregations or with family or friends or just social life and how we have to intentionally make space for listening. And as you said, you know, listening to God, listening to each other, listening to our neighbors, really before we can be in a place where we can consider what new or different thing we might want to try because what we're doing just isn't working. And so I'm really curious, you know, if there was this sense as you started to engage these experiments, especially before the pandemic, if there was any sense of risk, you know, on your behalf or with the congregation that you had to navigate. Yeah, I think there was always risk. There was risk that no one would show up. (laughs) There was risk that people wouldn't actually have conversation. They wouldn't talk to each other. There was risk that they wouldn't make the pipe cleaner glasses, you know, and they wouldn't kind of go along with what we were trying to do, that they wouldn't get it, that they wouldn't understand, or that, you know, not only would the neighbors not come, but our folks wouldn't come and it would sort of just fizzle out and we wouldn't, we, but I think the biggest risk was that we, we wouldn't learn anything from the experiment. And I think looking back, I can see that that was the most important thing that happened was that we learned from that experiment. It was a fun new thing to try, right? And I think so often we think about innovation as trying to go after that fun new thing that's going to make everything better. And what we learned in that very first experiment was it wasn't about the fun thing And it didn't make everything better than the way that we thought it was going to. In in the way that we thought this will attract the neighbors, the neighbors will come and numbers will go up and all will be well. It wasn't a failed experiment in the way that it shaped us and started to transform us. In that way, it was a deeply important experiment. And we haven't done Messy Church again in that way, but it has changed and morphed and And I think that's important too, because that experiment led to other experiments and those have changed and transformed us as well. And so the experimenting is an ongoing process. And in that way, it's not just a means to an end. It it is in itself sort of the end because the process of experimenting is transformational. And, And that to me is the really key and important thing about experimenting. So fast forward to a pandemic coming that we don't know a what's coming. I literally remember I was serving at Lutheran Church of Peace at this time. And I remember each day of the week prior to closing, trying to figure out where, where the ball was, what, what was happening, what was coming, what impact did it have? And I want to use that thread of experimenting of saying, experimenting for the sake of experimenting is who cares, right? Right. Uh, And 
in the in your experiment that you talked about, you had a particular desire to get to know your neighbors. Like that was a center or that was a key value or or drive. And that's not what you learned, but you learned something else. But you learned something also core to who you were, right? Yes. That was right. critical. And so I think part of the thing for me around experimenting is what do we experiment around and for what purpose? So now it's not just let's do VBS or not. It's now the doors are closed, yeah. <laughs> right? Right. Yes. Yes. How do you decide where to start? Right. What's critical? So talk through, pick some stories around the time of the early part of the pandemic and how that was another chapter in this experimenting. And then maybe how it's morphed since as mm-hmm. there's been more freedom to to gather and to do some things, quote, like you did before. Yeah. So March 14th, uh, we closed the doors of Lutheran Church of Peace, having no idea how long they would be closed for as every other church went through that same moment, right? And I am forever grateful that we had done so much work around naming our vision and our values beforehand. And, you know, Terry, you and I have talked about this. We just had this sense of urgency that this work needed to be done. And so we had we had just in the fall of 2019 named in the congregation our five values and uh, a new vision statement. And those were our foundation and throughout the pandemic and made making decisions so much easier because we knew who we wanted to be, who we were called to be, what we wanted to be about and what was foundational and core for us. And so as we closed the church and wondered what to do, you know, those first, you know, what, two and a half, three months, we recorded worship as we were just trying to sort things out and still thought this was going to be sort of a short-term thing. And by summer, all would be great. And we'd just go back to quote unquote normal, right? And then as summer came and we realized this isn't going away and we're going to be in this for a while, we started to wonder, so what is next? And I think with a strong, I know with a strong foundation of those values and having done some experiments and having survived them and having renewed energy in the congregation, we decided instead of trying to go big uh, with worship throughout this next season of pandemic, we would go small. And so we took a big risk and decided that we would worship halftime in small church or small church worshiping communities. And so we had communities that were gathered. There were about 10 households in each community. They had a host. Four of them were meeting on Zoom and two of them were meeting in person. And we would send them a recorded worship service about 30 minutes long. The host would ask for prayers and they would pray for each other. They would worship together. And then after worship, they would have conversation and just share life and fellowship around the message, but just around what was happening in their life too, as a way to support each other through this. And so we did that twice a month. And then the other two Sundays, we would worship all together on Zoom. It is a large community. And the crazy thing that we didn't see coming, but that we found in those small church worshiping communities was deep, deep community. 
deeper community than we had ever had in person before COVID. And it's just been a really beautiful thing. We worshiped that way for a year. And coming out of that and coming back to in person, we realized two things. One, we didn't lose any ground in our worshiping attendance. We came back that first Sunday, and I'll never forget it. I, I assumed that, you know, we would have, you know, 10, 15, 20 people come back. We had like 80, 85 people show up in the sanctuary. And it was almost a claustrophobic feeling. I wanted to say to everybody, like, you need to step, step take everybody move back a row. <laughs> and people really lamented the loss of those small communities. And we had new families come in during that pandemic year that also said that they knew that they had found a deeper way into the community. They had, they had gotten into the community in a deeper way than they ever would have had they been trying to navigate pre-COVID, coffee hour, what groups do you join, and that kind of thing. Liz, you mentioned in when talking about, you know, the small communities that there was kind of this freedom, right, of you equipped each of the small communities with, you know, kind of some content and message for their time together. And then also there was this freedom to, to engage one another. And in episode 27, we talked with Michael Binder about discerning, you know, the challenges that we're, we're facing as the church and in different congregations right now. And we went through this practice of asking ourselves and others, what keeps you up at night? And kind of this revelation and realization that often as leaders, when we think about what keeps us up at night, Mm -hmm. and then we talk with people in our congregations about what's keeping them up at night. And then we talk with people in the neighborhood about what's keeping them up at night. Mm -hmm. Often we see this gap that Mm -hmm. they might not always be the same things. And it kind of brings me back to where you started in sharing about someone really close to you that has experienced this gap between what they've experienced in church and what they experience in their personal life. And that it just has been too too wide of a chasm to really cross for them. And so at least as churches, they know it. So I'm just curious if I'm maybe hearing uh, correctly about the small communities and how maybe that gap was closed a little bit. Can you say more about that? Yeah, I think it was closed a bit in a way because we got out of the way a little bit. And I really think a lot about lately reflecting, looking back, here we are 23 months into a pandemic and realize um, how much church is has been about us, the pastors, the leaders, and how this pandemic has, we've, we've had to get out of the way. And, and how much I've seen that this church really is God's church. And God has definitely taken the wheel <laughs> in such beautiful ways to see that the church continues and thrives through a pandemic is such a testament to God's faithfulness. And I think the risks that we have taken before or during the pandemic, 
you know, they've broken down sort of the way we've done things before, you know, that barrier of, well, we've never done it that way before. And it's involved us stepping out in faith, trusting that God really does have this. And this really is God's church. And we need to maybe both get out of the way a little bit and get out of our building. You know, the pandemic pushed the walls down of the church because it just didn't exist inside the building for a year or more. And so we had to think about, well, what does that mean? And what does it mean for the church to exist without the walls? And where is the church? We have a young person in our congregation who said, church is everywhere. That's what he learned during the pandemic, that the church is everywhere. And what a beautiful thing that is. I love the stories of both our learning as leaders, right, to get out of the way, but also the opening up of people in the pew, people that have come my experience in some of those small communities was that Lutheran Church of Peace had a commitment to pray for each other prior to each other, mm-hmm. I mean, prior to the small church experiment. And that was a, a real tangible way, Alicia, to do that gap to tend, you know, what's, what's keeping me up at night? My friend's cancer diagnosis. My mom's Alzheimer's getting worse. My heart surgery, that's been rescheduled a couple of times because of COVID, whatever, right? And that vulnerability, but that also feeling real support of people praying for each other was part of my experience within those communities that people really reached out to the community and trusted the community with those with those longings and with those prayers, you know? So Liz and I have the privilege of writing a Word and World article. It's actually called A Leadership Fable. So we don't claim, I don't claim any wisdom. Maybe you do, Pastor Liz. Oh, no. But if you're, no, if you're looking for a fable on little did we know and how to lean into uh, a pandemic and experiment, we'll put a link to that article in our show notes and you can kind of hear more about some of the details around that process that you talked about here, about where the vision came from, what it means to be a brave church in the midst of a pandemic, and to lean in some some new practices based on who we really believe the Spirit is nudging us to. There are many more stories I think you could tell, and wonderful embracing of this faithful innovation that we've talked about. But Alicia, you have a practice for us. I do. So Liz, each episode we have been engaging a different spiritual practice and including a download to each of them in every episode's show notes. And the practice that we wanted to do with you today is an invitation to risk-taking. I feel like it's not very surprising because it goes with the whole theme for for our episode today. But let me just uh, share a little bit about it. And then the questions that we invite people to consider as they engage this practice. And then Liz, I'd love for you to, to share, you know, a reflection or thought you have as you hear the questions asked. Okay. So an invitation to risk-taking this practice really invites you and your congregation to go beyond what you've done in the process of faithful innovation 
and name some significant risk that you believe God might be inviting you to take in the next season or chapter in the life of your congregation. And so the questions that we invite people to consider um, when they're thinking about, okay, what is might be the thing that God is inviting us to are, what might God be inviting your congregation to do, but you haven't had the courage or opportunity to do yet? What is something that the congregation has been wanting to do for a long time, but hasn't ever pursued? Is there anything you think God might be inviting the congregation to try that you haven't stepped out and tried yet? List some of the reasons that you haven't yet pursued these. And then name ways that God has led the congregation in the past and been faithful. And then lastly, what is one step the congregation could take towards something you think God might be inviting the congregation to try that it hasn't yet? So Liz, I'm curious, as you heard those questions, if there's something in your congregation right now that resonates with one of those questions. Yeah, well, definitely. All of those questions resonate in some uh, big ways right now. One of the things that happened through those small church worshiping communities was we had people from all over the country who were participating. And that was a really beautiful thing. In particular, we had a gentleman who lives full-time in Arizona who worshiped with us every week that entire year and has continued because we continue to worship um, both on-site and online through Zoom. And we have a host that hosts the Zoom community on Sunday mornings, greets people, takes prayer requests, is there to have an online coffee hour afterwards and really engage community because that's our value that we have really gone from and has been leading us through the entire pandemic. And so we didn't know what to do with Zoom as we sort of came back in person We kept going back and forth, you know, how long do you keep this Zoom thing going? What's the threshold? You know, do we, when we get down to six people, do we kind of say, okay, maybe this is, we don't do this anymore. Three people, 10, 20, you know, how long do you kind of keep this, this experiment going? And when will we know if we're supposed to keep going or not? And I had been speaking with my husband who was running all of our tech stuff throughout the pandemic and our worship coordinator, we were standing in the sanctuary having this very conversation about, I have no idea. We've been doing this thing. It's worked. It's been amazing. But like, where does it go from here? And I walked across into our fellowship hall. And this gentleman from Arizona was visiting some family that live in Minnesota. And he said to me, I want to join the church. And I said, you live in Arizona. He said, I know but you have Zoom. And I just kind of looked around and I was completely, I, I, I was without words. I thought, okay. So I, I just said, that's amazing. And I turned away from him and I walked back across the, across our narthex into the sanctuary again and looked at my husband and our music director and said, well, I guess Zoom is here to stay. <laughs> like, I have no idea what God is doing with this, but you know, Steve is joining the church from Arizona. So this is a thing. And God is clearly saying to us, this door is open and I'm keeping it open. And I'm inviting you to take another step through the door. So that's what we've been up to and thinking about now. Uh, we, well, the step that we want to take is to bring someone onto staff. 
that would be a digital, online, hybrid, coordinator, director, pastor, person. We have no idea. We have no idea where this is going. This is a complete stepping out of our comfort zone, stepping out in faith, and with no end goal in sight. The future is completely uncertain for us. We are simply holding to God has opened this door, of this completely unexpected door of opportunity. And we are going to step through it and see where God takes it. But it's totally God leading this from here. So it is terrifying because you're talking about bringing a staff person on. And you don't know if this is going to work or not. So we're seeking a grant because we didn't budget for this. There's no money for this. (laughs) You know, all these things that are definitely a risk. So we're going to need to figure out where to get money. It involves a person and their career and their livelihood. It involves this person in Arizona and their connection to the church and other people. And it could completely fail, but we're going. Love that. I was thinking, Alicia, about uh, I'm involved with the ELCA Children, Youth, and Family Ministry Network and have been for really long time, decades. Okay. And with that, there's a group of us that around Christmas time, we're just nudged to talk to each other. And in Zoom, you can do that, right? So we early one morning, because we're all busy with schedules, like at seven in the morning, we brought our oatmeal and granola. And I even came with wet hair a couple of times and said, what's on our heart about the future? Each of us were had been trained, had been brought up in camps in parachurch organizations in congregations that had really embraced like leadership development. And we just were seeing those systems fall or change and what was filling them. We weren't sure. And those morning conversations turned into, we are now making a proposal and going after money from some big donors to say, we don't know what this is, but we care about creating, curating the resources of leading people, equipping people for youth ministry, and experimenting with what's emerging, models. We think there's an over-the-horizon effort that needs to be made, and we're just going to do something. So it's both an experiment, and it's a big risk because we are going to ask people, just like you said, Pastor Liz, ask people for money to pay for an experiment that we're not sure exactly how to talk about yet, but we just feel that five, six of us around the country are seeing this and there's something that we need to tend. So this isn't, that's not an, it wasn't a new question, but the urgency and the movement were just like, it's, you have to go. And that's, I think for me, um, paying attention to the spirit or the urgent, that urgent feeling, what is that about? is kind of the the thing that gets you over over the edge. You asked about what keeps people up at night, what keeps us up at night. And I think one of the things that keeps me up at night is that the window of opportunity at some point will close as we move into whatever a new normal is going to be on the other side of this pandemic. And the risk of not having seen around the curve and stepped around the curve and started to wonder 
about the other shapes that church might take that we won't have stepped into. I think there's risk in that too. And I think I worry more at this point about that happening than I do about the risks that we might take in experimenting in new things, um, that we might miss opportunity here. And, And all the learning, we have learned so much already about what it is to be community with one another because of the small and big risks that we have taken. And I think I would say too that experimenting and risk-taking doesn't mean you immediately just go throw everything out. People come to Lutheran Church of Peace and they, they say, but you don't look that different. And we don't. It's not like you show up and we're this radical church that's doing radically different things. And every experiment we take transforms us and shapes us in really deep ways that is also palpable in the community. Liz, I love that. And I love that you brought up the risk of doing nothing. Yeah. Right. And so often when we think about risk taking, we start to sweat thinking about trying something new. And I think, unfortunately, we often forget to also consider the risk of doing nothing. Yes. And I think that needs to more and more be part of our conversations when we're thinking about what might God be calling us to do as the church and what might the church look like and be moving forward. Because I do think there is a risk to doing nothing. Absolutely. Absolutely. We get frustrated that the church has been pushed to the edge of society but there's a really easy way to get back into the center of society. We just have to walk out the door, right? There's risk in that. There's risk in walking out the door and exposing ourselves outside of the tightly knit community or the building or whatever. There's even bigger risk in not doing that because in not stepping outside of our door, we just stay on the edges and we're going to become more and more irrelevant. And that gap is just going to continue to grow. I love that. And for me, that brings us back full circle. We experiment and we learn and we follow the Spirit because there are people that need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. They need it in word. They need it in actions. They need it in love and care and support. And I think that is just so important right now. So I thank you for your story. I thank you for your time. It is a joy to be with such wonderful women leading the church and imagining over the horizon in some times. And I thank you for your faithful leadership, Pastor Liz, and the way that you continue to be open to the spirit and to love the people, the messiness of ministry that is whoever shows up, right? And in the ways that they show up with that Our next episode is actually going to be, how do we reflect on the learning from these? So you've set us up well for for next week. So I hope you will join us for our next episode of Pivot. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Pivot Podcast. For more leadership resources, go to faithpluslead.luthersem.edu.